there's a time in every podcast life where we have to talk about the change. Greetings, Attic Wives and Lit Witches, and welcome to Fuck Boys of Literature. I'm your host, Emily Edwards. It's hard to talk about this book without getting very introspective and very, very personal. I try, as you've probably realized, to frequently keep the conversations of the podcast at an arm's length, to maintain an editorial stance firmly outside of what we're talking about. Some books made me discuss my life in detail, often when talking about addiction or death, but this one... I don't know. If you were ever 12 with a body assigned female at birth, this one hits different. All right, everyone with me today is a voice you will recognize from our episodes on cats, for which she is very well known, and also the Wizard of Oz last year, kicking off one of our, um, you know, book into movie celebrations. Abby, how the hell are you? I'm doing very well, Emily. How are you? Good. We're doing another book that is now finally a movie, like 50 years after it was published, but neither of us have seen it. This week just sucked, so I didn't get a chance to it. But is this your first time with Are You There, God? It's me, Margaret. It is my first time, and I'm not really sure why. Um, I'm 35. It was a classic by the time I was old enough to be reading it. Um, I certainly have read a lot of Judy Bloom, um, starring J- Sally J. Friedman as herself was a favorite for many years. Um, I think probably I, I missed Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, because it's, I, I was a pretty advanced reader, and I think that yeah. I probably felt that the reading, by the time I was the right age for it, the reading level was, you know, yeah. beneath as it were. Um, exactly. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Like, and also I was like, uh, you've alluded to your parents enough that I was like, they wouldn't get freaked out by the content of it because no, no, like. I, and I, I mean, I read, I was reading Summer Sisters, which is relatively explicit. Um, yeah, I think it was just by the time I was old enough to be interested in the subject matter, I was reading more adult books already. Yeah. Um, so I, I read it this week though. That makes sense. Like I definitely got to it maybe when I was seven or eight and I know, I remember distinctly taking it out of my local public library and I was seven or eight in like the, I was in the early nineties. So like it was a hardcover book that was definitely the first edition or amongst like the first editions. And all I remember reading it was like, I don't know, you obviously, I don't know if you know the thing about like the menstrual pads and like the whole book, but like they, she described like the 1970s like pads, which came with like a belt and stuff like that. Cause I guess 3M hadn't invented adhesives yet that would work for the application. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that seems uncomfortable and not like it was going to work. And then by the time I got my period, when I was like in my late teens, cause I was a skinny kid, like I was like, Oh, thank God they updated the technology. And that was like the only thing I remember about this book at all. Yeah. I had heard that about the periods. And so I was surprised when I read the only edition I was able to find is, um, let's see this, this is the 2022 edition and they, 
they updated it, mm-hmm. which I did not approve of. Um, yeah. There's nothing else in the story that makes you think it's modern day. There's no mentions of cell phones or the internet. So I don't really understand why they felt the need to update it to her sticking a pad in her panties. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, uh, though, of all the controversial updates that are done to books that were written for children prior to, like, the early 2000s, like, pad technology is a really, like, benign one, but you are totally right. Like, yeah, there's a whole scene where she's I don't she's think it's evil up- or anything. Yeah, it just, no. but like, why? Like, She's at a school library looking up things in book encyclopedias, so I don't understand why we had to, like, you know, update that whole rigmarole. It could have just been where it was. It was fine. Yeah, and I mean, you know, and and kids often read older books. I would remember reading Babysitter's Club books that were, you know, 10, 15 years out of date, and they would make reference to things that I didn't recognize, and I just sort of knew those were old-timey things yeah or regional things but um you know I assume Judy signed off on it and therefore it's fine yeah Judy Judy really is great I think this is probably the second Judy I know we did forever at the end of last season and then so this is only like the second Judy Bloom book that we've done even though like she has such She's so canonical in like little girl fiction. Like there were just so many books. She was so prolific. And it's just like, I've read most of them. Just, you know, if you didn't know what you were going to take out of the library, just take out something by Judy Bloom and you'll be fine. And it was, and I, I'm surprised it actually took us this long to get to this book. Well, you know, she's quite prolific. Um, I'm looking at the inside of the book and it lists, it actually only lists her, her children's books, nothing about oh, interesting. Summer Sisters or, um, she did another adult one not yeah. that long ago, actually. Yeah, it was fairly recent. But yeah, very prolific. I, here's to you, Rachel Robinson. Actually, I think here's to you, Rachel Robinson was the first place I learned about rape. Oh, interesting. Um, the, and that's the things in that book. stick in our minds. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Sally J. Friedman was a, a, a big, a big one for me. Yeah. She doesn't coddle kids in a way that I really, really appreciate because I remember she was always put across from like uh, um, Ramona Quimby in like my, you know, it was like you either read Judy Bloom or you read Beverly Cleary, who's also like incredibly prolific, you know, bastion of kid lit, but like they're not the same kind. Tent. Like Ramona Quimby and Ralph S. Mouse are not even remotely reaching like the no. stratosphere of Judy Bloom. <laughs> no. No. Um so so yeah, I you know, I enjoyed reading it. Yeah. Um I will admit that I think I read it just as I was coming out of Catholic school. So I was raised, uh, you know, I went to Catholic school for my first three years of school. And then my parents were like, uh, this is terrible. Um, so we didn't do that anymore. But like, I really feel like this was probably the first time that I encountered a Jewish person in a, in a book, like meant for kids, because most of it's just not really part of the culture. And and, and I was, and I really took me this long to get to like a Jewish kids book. That's, I, I mean, that's fascinating for me. I, I am Jewish. And yeah. so I grew up with Jewish kids books. There was nothing, uh, yeah, yeah, that that's fascinating to me to think that other people might not have been 
exposed. Yeah. I mean, but it is one of the things that came up when the movie was coming out was just that a lot. I saw a couple of people go like, oh, it's surprising to me that the, the grandmother character in this book is incredibly, she's very Jewish. She's just like very proud of her faith and her culture. And like they hired Kathy Bates to play her, who was like fantastic. But I saw a couple of people be like, not Jewish. It's like, no, definitely not. And this is a really no, like culturally Jewish book. <laughs> not Jewish. So yeah. weird. Yeah. Um, and, weird and you know, and I haven't there. seen it yet. So I just, I don't, you know, want to pass judgment, but like, I, I just thought that was really interesting because like the, the, the concept of this book is like, she's a little Jewish girl and she's trying to figure out, but she's got mixed religion parents and her mother who was raised Christian was kicked out of her family for marrying a Jewish man clearly set in the 1970s probably still happens today but that's beside the point but like she's a mixed faith family and that is a massive part of the book where she's trying to figure out her faith in the most delightful little kid lens possible of do I go to the Jewish community center or do I go to the Y to use the swimming pool? And that's like kind of a, a crux of her crisis of faith in a really adorable childish way. But she does understand that it goes further than that, which like is... Right. She also attends, she attends Rosh Hashanah services at Temple with her grandma and she does Christmas services with friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I loved the fact that Judy Bloom. She, she goes to Rosh Hashanah services with her grandmother, and then her two forays into Christianity are Methodists and Presbyterians, which I was like, interesting wasp culture, considering like she's in New Jersey. And I was like, I think there's slightly more of an Italian Catholic contingent in Northern Jersey than Methodists and Presbyterians, but I didn't really look into that. And she was still just kind of like, I don't know. I like choir music. That's something. And I love that she doesn't go into like text of religion. She's just kind of like, what's the experience of it that I appreciate more? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is absolutely how she, how she approaches it. Um, yeah. Cause I think that is how little kids approach it. You know, at some point in the book, she goes like, you know, I really feel just like parents should choose a religion for their kid because 12 is way too late to decide. And I was like, oh, honey, if you think 12 is too old for anything, you're going to have a really hard life like carrying on. You know, and, and I, so I put a, a few post-it flags in the book as I was reading. And one of them was this section. They're having a Christmas and Hanukkah pageant mm -hmm. um, because those are the only two winter holidays that you that could imagine in 1970, I guess. Yep. Um, and there's this little bit where uh, another, a Jewish boy in the class says he won't sing the Christmas songs. Mm -hmm. And then a little Christian girl raises her hand and says she won't sing the Hanukkah songs because it's against her religion, which is not how that works at all. Um, nope. And the teacher tries to convince him that the songs are for everyone and it's not about religion. Um, and then the, the little Jewish boy, Alan brings in a note from home and he doesn't have to sing the Christmas songs anymore. Um, and that jumped out at me because that's absolutely the kind of thing my parents would have done. <laughs> and the kind of thing I would have done. I would have been the kid saying, I'm not singing 
your Christmas songs and my parents would have been the ones backing me up saying Mm -hmm. she's not singing these Christmas songs would you like the Supreme Court cases that say she doesn't have to exactly Um, yeah but yeah the book is it it is an it's a fascinating little history piece and Mm -hmm. um and it is it is such a period piece it is though I will say that like people still don't really know what to do with you if you don't have a religion. Like if you're just kind of like, I, I don't have one, like in certain pockets of the country, like people just are like, what do you mean? You don't like celebrate anything. And you just have to be like, I don't really, not at all. Like they, they try to, that one parent or someone in the book tries to write it off as like, Christmas is just like, an American commercial holiday. And I'm just like, yeah, no, that's an excuse that shitty people use. I've used it in the past before I fully understood things. And it's just like, no, it's just a shitty excuse. Don't say that. It's horrible. <laughs> it's... Yeah. I mean, I think that was, I think that was her mom, Margaret's mom. That mm-hmm. they, And it seems, you know, it seems like in their case, that was sort of the compromise they reached. We'll, we'll do Christmas, but without the, trappings without without the like we're not gonna go to church we're not talking about jesus we're just gonna do a tree and presents and also margaret will be heavily exposed to her very jewish grandmother who Mm -hmm. in the book is all of 60 years old even though she sounds like ancient and she's not at all i know they make her sound like she's this like 90 year old woman she's 60 that means she was 48 when Margaret was born. And I was like, I'm 37 in 10 years. I'm supposed to have a grandchild. That is insane. Right? Um, and I mean, my, I'm the, my father was the youngest sibling. Um, and he married my mom late. So I did, I did have a very different experience of my grandparents growing up uh, because I was, so much so much younger than my cousins that makes sense so I think it is I think it is realistic but it was you know I'm reading about her taking out her teeth and stuff and I'm like oh so she's like you know really old and no no, no. just dental hygiene wasn't great back then <laughs> just like as a, if you're in the Korean war generation it was it was totally understood that you were going to be losing your teeth by the time you're 60 like it's it is a very interesting time piece because like the number of times Margaret gets on public transportation without an adult to accompany her, and it's just like, ta-ta, have fun going to Penn Station or the Port Authority. Like, and you're just like, oh no, 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 you don't do that. Don't put a 12-year-old girl on a bus by herself from New Jersey into Manhattan. That's asking an awful lot. I mean, I, th- I feel like it it depends a lot because um, you know, in, in New York City, they Children do not get school buses to school. That's true. They get public transit. And you do you do see kids within the city surprisingly young taking themselves to school. And that's just considered normal. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, you know, I always forgot and, that and, like and, you, you know, she you moves from about, the city. Right. The she, she's a little she's a city girl. So it, it's not as you know, I think she's a little young, but it, it didn't, that didn't super shock me because I'm so used to, you know, seeing, seeing elementary schoolers taking themselves to school. 
Yeah. Was there anything in the book that did shock you? Of you were just kind of like, that's not normal for kids or what was Judy Bloom thinking? Um, yeah, I think, uh, I think one thing would be, um, and I was surprised that they, sort of surprised, though pleased in that I don't want them to make changes, but surprised and that maybe they should have. Um, there's this little bit. We sat around on the porch and Nancy brought us Cokes and cookies. When Gretchen helped herself to six Oreos at once, Nancy asked her how much weight she'd gained over the summer. Gretchen put back four cookies and said, not much. Mm -hmm. And that, um, I think it probably is realistic for Mm -hmm. 11, 12 year old girls to be talking about their weight, unfortunately, but it isn't they shouldn't be yeah they are children they are very much still growing yeah like I really I I agree with you that there was a lot of fat shaming in this book like you know there's there's one girl in their class who has developed faster than all the other girls and they allude to the fact that she's the biggest both the tallest and probably the the heaviest girl in class and so she's got breasts she's fully developed I didn't read it as heaviest at all. Oh, interesting. I, my interpretation of um, of Laura Danker was was not that she was overweight in any way, but just that she was very developed. Gotcha. That she was tall and you know had boobs and hips. Mm-hmm. But I I didn't at all think that they were saying she was fat. I thought they were saying she was. Curvy, you know, yeah, womanly. Interesting. Interesting. Like, I I know I read this from the perspective of someone who was very, I'm very tall and was always very tall for my age, but I was very, very skinny. So, like, I didn't have boobs until I was 25, you know what I mean? So, it's just like, in (laughs) my mind, the correlation between tall and being developed also goes with just, like, having a little bit more meat on your bones. So, that's one of the ways that I was reading it. it. From the perspective of someone who I got my period when I was eleven, I was yeah. a I was a double D by the time I was fourteen. So, gotcha. um, and I was also very very skinny. So that is what I assume. Oh, um, although I was never tall, and I'm still very much not tall. Gotcha. My wife likes to put things in the high up shelves so I can't reach them. How nice. <laughs> Thank you very much. But like, no, that's fascinating. Cause like, that is something, I mean, I don't know if you can read this as an adult and not put your own perspective of your own like puberty experience on it. So like, you know, I, I felt really bad for Laura Danker the entire time because like, let's just be honest here. Margaret's friend Nancy is a grade A bitch. And like the, the fat shaming that Nancy does, I, now as an adult was reading it as characterization for Nancy just being a stone cold bitch. But I don't think you would glean that as an eight to 12 year old person who's, who's reading this book. You would just see it as Nancy is the alpha girl and she sets the parameters for what acceptable femininity is for the class that she's in. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, I wish, I wish I had like read this at, 12 and written down all of my thoughts about it so mm-hmm. that I could see how I feel 25 years later. Yeah. Not quite 25, but almost 25 years later. Yeah. Um, I realized I was reading this t- like 25 
28 years after I read it for the first time. And I was like, oh my God. Because the only thing I remember striking me as like strange when I was a child and I read this for the first time was that they were all, there was a like a boy girl party where a parent wouldn't be supervising it enough for like 12 year olds to go to the bathroom and kiss. And I was just like, that must've been interesting in the 1970s because like that would, that was not in my understanding of like a party for like elementary schoolers or, you know, like sixth graders in like the 1990s. Like I, to my, or maybe I just wasn't invited to those parties as I wasn't invited to most of the cool parties in high school either. So who's to say? I, I I was, as I have mentioned previously, homeschooled until eighth grade. So I truly cannot comment. Um, but I don't know that I would leave a bunch of 12-year-olds unsupervised for however long this mother left them that they were able to get, what was it, mustard on mustard. the ceiling? Yeah. yeah. Um, Margaret does a really good job, or rather, Judy Bloom does a very good job of like, characterizing like that heterosexual disgust you have for like boys in your class and I'm sure you're just kind of like my hormones are telling me that like smooching is an option but also you are a horrendous human being and I don't want to be around you I did really like the fact that in the spin the bottle scene they mentioned like no fair kissing girls you know girls kissing girls or boys kissing boys and I was just like what an interesting thing to put in there Judy Bloom like would a 12-year-old boy in 1978 take, like, the cop-out of smooching another boy in, like, a yeah, game? Yeah, that's of... hard to imagine, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder if the kids still play Spin the Bottle. I feel like the kids these days, or and Seven Minutes, and all, all those all those games that very much relied on a binary understanding of gender. I would love to know if, in fact, I will probably, after this podcast, ask Twitter, my source for all knowledge. Yeah. Uh, if if the kids these days still play those kinds of games, or if it's too complicated now that they understand there's more than two types of kids, or yeah, I remember I went to a very queer college, and I remember playing Spin the Bottle like in someone's dorm room for like two and a half minutes, where it was just like anybody in this room could smooch anybody in this room and it would be like absolutely fine and no one would squeal or do anything. And it's just like, and I feel like spin the bottle really kind of got shaded out in the history of time because nobody really cares anymore. Also, it's just no. kissing. Who cares? <laughs> well, it's a, uh, it's a big deal when you're, uh, when you're 12, but that's true. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it's surprisingly dated. And I, I do want to go back to Nancy in a way because Nancy is, Margaret is, she's kind of painted as a little adult. Like she's given a lot of freedom by her parents. Like she, you know, she never really has to explain anything. Her parents are super supportive of like anything that she wants. The only thing they actually freak out about is the idea that she might want to participate in religion when they've raised her to basically not participate in religion or participate in all religions. Um, and Margaret is just, she's got a very level head on her shoulder where she's just kind of like, that seems stupid, but I went along with it anyway, because, you know, why put up a fight? And it's like, okay, maybe get a little more skin in the game sometimes. But like Nancy, who is her neighbor, she lives down the street in the little 
you know, subdivision that they live in. And she's just a grade A asshole, if you can say that about a 12-year-old girl character, because she really is just so, you know, like strictly confined to acceptable and unacceptable, you know, behaviors for girls down to the boy book. We all have to wear a bra. We all have to like, you know, have fancy names for ourselves during our like secret club. And it's just like, this is too much. This is awful. But I also, you know, I also felt sorry for Nancy because I mean, you know, so they, they get the permission slips to, um, to watch the sex ed video or the menstruation video, I guess mm-hmm. it is. Um, actually, they don't get permission slips. The permission slips, I remember this, are mailed to their parents. So, yeah. like, we didn't update it to be they uploaded it to the e learning platform. Yeah, or emailed it. Or... These slips. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and Margaret's like, I already know all of this. Mm-hmm. And her mom explains that, yes, because we're good parents, but some people have bad parents, and so they need to get this education at school, which is very much still true, although kids now have many other sources of knowledge Mm -hmm. outside of school and parents that they didn't necessarily have. Um, And I, I feel like... I feel like my sense of Nancy overall is that she... She is very sheltered and, like, in some ways she seems like she knows what's going on, mm-hmm. but in other ways it seems like she very much does not. And, and I, you know, like you said, she's very into the, the strict gender mm-hmm. roles and the rules. And, you know, part of me wonders if Nancy ends up going to Sarah Lawrence and cutting off all her hair and... We can only hope. Like... I feel like, because it does, it does seem that she has been raised this way. Like she sucks, but it's not clear to me that it's an inherent suckage. And there are kids who just suck. Like let's mm-hmm. be real here. There, there are kids who are real little assholes, and it's nothing to do with their parents. It's just who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Nancy, I'm not so sure. Um, yeah, you know, there's a couple of allusions to. Um, like families hiring help now and then, you know, whereas like one, the party where, that she goes to, the mom has a maid, whereas like Margaret's family hires a maid, like to work one night when they have a dinner party and things like that. And I feel like Nance, they're living in this world that I don't know. Like, you know, obviously when I lived in LA, I knew rich people who had cleaning ladies and stuff like that, but nobody had like live in help or help every single day. And so like, I'm aware of it now as an adult, but when I was a kid, like nobody I knew had cleaning people or household help or anything like that. Like everybody mowed their own lawns, you know, it was just a straight up like middle to lower middle class existence. And it was, you know, so I don't think I quite internalized like how weird it was or how much of a marker it was that so many people in this book had hired help or household help and things like that. And Nancy definitely now as an adult having this perspective is definitely one of those girls who was raised to marry wealthy to like the things she knows about being an adult and being an adult woman is to please men and to be beautiful and to be an object, you know, as opposed to Margaret, who's just kind of like raised to be a human being and the other girls in their little club who are kind of just like, 
raised to be people. Whereas Nancy, I, I got the impression that she was raised to be something to someone else. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a, a good reading of Nancy. And that's why, you know, I, I I'm feel deeply out by her. <laughs> like, some, some, some empathy for her because she, this is how she's been raised. And, you know, it's, look, it's 1970. We're about to, things are really kicking off. I, I, I think it would be fascinating to see where Nancy is in a decade mm -hmm. and see if she has followed the path that was laid out for her, mm -hmm. in which case, you know, yeah. Or if she has said, this sucks, women's lib, burn the bras. Mm -hmm. My women's She's had Barnard, you know. No nope, bras were burned. Exactly. Um, except in, like, specific protest. Uh, but, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, she is truly one of the most reprehensible people in this book, just simply what she did to Laura Danker. And, like, we've alluded to Laura of just, like, they're in this little sixth grade class. They have a male teacher. They're And... Nancy immediately starts saying the male teacher who's like a first year teacher won't even look at Laura Danker because she's got boobs and immediately sexualizes this poor girl and then starts a rumor that poor Laura Danker, the only person who has boobs, goes behind the grocery store with her, Nancy's older brother and his best friend to like do stuff, air quotes. And that's like, Nancy, fuck all the way off this is evil oh yeah when they were when the 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 stuff about you know i'm sure the teachers looking at her like this teacher does not see laura danker as a sexual object just because she has boobs like i don't look at 12 year olds with boobs and go oh yeah that's a sexual being no. like that's not that's not how grown-ups think but but I, I do think it is really plausible about how kids think. I mean, I remember the things that I would would say at, you know, 13, 14 that were so much more mature than anything I was actually ready for. Um, mm -hmm. Things that I, I thought I was supposed to say and... Um, yeah. And and I don't want to come off like a, you know, a total Nancy defender because I obviously what she did to Laura is really awful. Yeah. Um but I I I I just I don't know, there's something that makes me wonder if Yeah. How would she, if she even... has potential to be someone else? Yeah. You know, I, do, I just don't know. And what, I, and what is what does she see from her mom? Is this the way her mom talks about other women? Yeah. Like, because, like, if so, yeah, I guess it makes sense. You know, if this is what she sees and hears, then that's what she's going to do, which doesn't yeah. make it okay. But at 12 does make it, you know. Yeah, because I was raised by a mom who was absolutely prudish. She She was awful about discussing things like, sexuality and bodies and stuff like that she was just a massive 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 prude still is and like I remember when I was like 11 I was in the fifth grade no 10 I was in the fifth grade and I remember we there was like a school like roller rink night this is the 90s and like so these two kids decided to make out at the roller rink and I remember just being like 
that's horrible. And it was like, no, it's like, it's not horrible. It's two kids making out at the roller <laughs> rink. But I remember just being like, we're children and like skating off because they're like, I have to go home because wow. I was raised to be a massive, massive prude. And so I like, say, Emily, that's really giving me some, that's Nancy core right there. Yeah. <laughs> being scandalized by the kids making out. I know. And like, and like now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, of course Nancy was like, you know, molded by her parents to have that kind of like, but like, I don't remember, I'm maybe, I'm sure I did, maybe I did, but I don't ever remember saying anything to the kids who were like way cooler than me and smooching when they were 10, 11, 12. But I remember being like, you know, that, that, that's wrong. That's not for me. But like, I feel like Nancy was given like, social currency you know what I mean by denigrating the actions and it's just like yep no you learned that like no kid like no kid is like mafioso at heart being like I've got dirt on this person and I can use it to my advantage like that's not kid behavior like kids are very black and white nobody is holding you know hush money over fellow children and you know it also it is very much a a we were talking about the the hired help and mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you know, the seventies when dad working, whatever mysterious job he worked could, Insurance. they have house in the <laughs> suburb. They have, they, they end up getting the two cars for convenience. Mm-hmm. They can occasionally hire a maid. And this is a, a life that d- doesn't exist anymore. Nope. Not really. I mean, I live in the straight up burbs. I live in Fairfield County, Connecticut. This is like, they were like, Connecticut's too inconvenient. And I'm like, yes, it is. Um, but like, it's like, it's amazing how much of it still does exist because I still like know people, but it, it's a shrinking population of people who can, who can actually make this well, work. You, you have to make a lot more money. Dad has to make a lot more money now to, to afford that lifestyle. Absolutely. And- uh, I mean, obviously, even, you know, fewer people do. Yeah. I mean, even down to the fact that he's like, I'm going to go buy a lawnmower because I, I live in the suburbs now and I'm going to mow my own lawn. And then he almost chops off his hand in the lawnmower and he's like, I'm going to hire someone to mow my lawn. And it's like, yep, yeah, that was, that's a rich dad kind of thing. Like, you know, that's, that's not usual, you know, but he's only paying the kid. I mean, I wonder what the conversion rate is for he's paying Moose $5 a week in order to $5 in 1978 is how much now? 1970, I think, right? Oh, 1970? Let me double check. I've got the book yeah. here. Copyright 1970. Copyright renewed 1988, the year I was born. Wow. $5 in 1970 is equivalent to about 40 bucks today. So Moose had a good racket going. Yeah, that's a that's a you mow a couple of lawns, you're doing pretty good. You're doing pretty good. Wow. You know, I love the fact that she did have Margaret kind of slightly crush on the guy who mows her lawn, but it wasn't like an all-consuming crush. Like Mar like Margaret kind of has like little flitters of like, oh, hey, that boy's cute. I don't like him, but I understand that he's objectively hot. Or like, Moose would be top of my boy book, but Nancy would probably drive me up a wall about it or use it against me somehow, so I'm not going to tell Nancy. And it's like, oh, you read people really well. 
Well, I think that's often how, you know, when you first start getting crushes, even even when you first start getting a new crush, you know, I I remember um my ex that, you know, we started as friends and then I remember one day sort of realizing, oh, you're thinking about responding to her email an awful lot. Yeah. And you're really excited to get home and see what she said to you. Mm -hmm. Do you like her? And I did like her and, you know, it didn't work out. But I think that is such a such a realistic portrayal of when you are first starting to get feelings. And in Nancy's case, probably the first time she's ever had feelings for someone. And so you don't even have anything to compare it to. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Like I, I love, I, it's very interesting. Like the depiction of the conformity that happens in the group of four girls where it's like Nancy's decided that they have to confess their crushes to each other once a week. And it's just like, first of all, I don't, think my friends and I did that to anybody but that's just bizarre but um like Nancy's decided they're going to do this again Nancy's getting Nancy's going to be like a mafia don by the time she's 25 I think the way she's like gathering information on people but like they all kind of came to the mutual conclusion without talking that this one boy that's objectively handsome has to be at the top of the list because any deviation from that would be like dirt to use against you or like a source of like mockery and I'm like how do, how is everybody trained to do this because I do remember doing that it's like it's weird yeah. I mean is it you know we had we certainly had the magazines you know Cosmo Girl YM mm-hmm. um Jane was was a sort of wrapping up and when I was that age mm-hmm. I wonder if you know did they have the same I'm sure they did they had these are the boys who you saw on the covers of the magazine. You you get an idea of what is attractive. I remember informing someone when I was 11 or 12 that, that I was um, maybe a little older, that I thought Matt Damon was hotter mm-hmm. than Ben Affleck. And my only basis for this, as a person who doesn't, like boys yeah my my reasoning was well he's blonde and I know that blondes are the hot ones so therefore he must be the so yeah so you know I that was I was on Matt's side because he was blonde and so I I think to some extent it's probably you know does the boy in their class most resemble a monkey or or whoever they were into I guess I realized as I was reading this and doing the math and the reason I remembered you know, that it was 1970 that Margaret must be my mother's age almost yeah. exactly. Um, I should ask my mother how they determined which boys were hot in 1970. That's a, that's a really good question. Like what was the criteria? Because we had like curtain bangs and whether or not he had a skateboard. Like those were like our criteria in the early like the late 90s to early 2000s (laughs) oh god you know I don't like thinking about this time in my life at all I really don't I have such an awkward like like you had mentioned earlier like you got like 
the the birds and the bees talk before you went to school and like some kids didn't get that you know margaret got it at home and her mom's explaining that like you know the school has to do it because some kids parents won't and my parents wouldn't my parents refused to talk to me about things like that and i was just the most awkward like naive child in the world and like books, reading, honest to God, reading this book makes me like humiliated for how like naive and dumb and judgmental I was when I was in middle school and like well into my, like well into college, I want to say that I was just kind of like scared of everything. And it and it didn't come from a place of religion exactly. Like it, my parents weren't like big old fundamentalists. It was just like, that was something you do not discuss. And it was just like, I was the most awful person and like I really wish I was raised with like a lot more of the fluidity and grace that Margaret got because like everybody in her life loves her no matter what and that's just like a really interesting thing to tell kids that like you know it's it's this is a really like weird sort of thing to say but like a lot of kids will be jealous of Margaret because everybody in her life accepts her And most of us don't get that. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You know, I think, thinking about parents, um, and one, one, one thing that is so impressive and that Judy Bloom does so well is, I can imagine, I, I want, I want the story of the girls in, in 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. I also want the backstory of her parents getting together. No I also lie. certainly want her grandmother's whole life would mm-hmm. love, give grandma a spinoff. Um, no but, lie. you know, her parents, when you, what we know about her mother is she was raised in Ohio, I believe, mm-hmm. by evangelicals it seems like um and somehow she met this new york jew Mm -hmm. and married him 
-hmm. And I think that it's not surprising that someone who would go that far out of her own comfort zone would be the kind of parent to talk to her kid about sexuality because she clearly was raised in that way and said, oh, this sucks. I'm not doing this to my kid. Mm -hmm. Bye. Yeah, you know, there's a scene at the end where Margaret's mom's parents come to visit and it is deeply uncomfortable. Um, It is, it's, it borders on abuse of the way that they treat Margaret of like, you know, they, they give her the full evangelical spiel. And again, like, again, being where I'm from, like, I didn't really know any evangelical people growing up. I knew like Catholics and I knew Jewish people. And that was really about it. And then there was like the random Muslim and Hindu people too. It was just like, you know, it was just like Catholics and Jewish people and that was it. And so like, um, you know, like they really start going in on the, like, she's wearing a big bedazzled cross. She's really like, the grandmother is like, well, when you start going to church, you're going to, and I was like, oh, this is, I, I didn't realize like how casually awful this is to have this happen to you all that often. Like it didn't, it didn't work like that. That was, that was one of the scenes that I, that I flagged um, near the end of that chapter, um, right when they're starting to, you know, they, they have a quasi-pleasant dinner, mm-hmm. and then the grandparents start getting into it. I flagged that because um, I lived in, I lived in uh, rural Virginia, mm-hmm. and I lived for seven years in Tulsa, which mm-hmm. is uh heavily heavily evangelical and these people are very familiar to me they are i i can picture them i can hear them mm-hmm. they are awful um yeah and certainly don't blame her mother for and you know i think this type of brother in california it seems like both their kids <laughs> Beat said, feet the oh, hell out of Ohio. We're gonna get yeah. yeah. Let's, um, yeah. Like I didn't but experience I do this want- until I was in my late twenties. Like until I got with my husband because his family is very evangelical, and they were like, "When can we send you a Bible?" And I was like, "Read it. Don't need it. Thanks." Like you know, it's they didn't like that very much. But but I was a real person by the time I experienced this and had right. no problems pissing them off. But like 12, you don't know how to fend this off. You can't fend this off. You don't have the toolkit for that. No. And I mean, I, I was, I was a relatively, I had a relatively well-stocked toolkit for, mm-hmm. um, we, we moved to Tulsa when I was 11. So very yeah. much. I mean, you, you meet people and the first question they ask there is what church you joined. Yeah. Where's your church home? We had no idea how that it was going to be like that. My family had never, you know, rural Virginia is one thing, Mm -hmm. um, but a cap, like a large scale city, super easy place to be Jewish. But it's nothing like the Bible Belt. The Bible Belt is really, um, yeah. But one thing that that I didn't love. Mm-hmm. is that chapter ends with 
Margaret getting upset. I was I'm never going to talk to the God again. What did he want from me anyway? I was through with him and his religions, and I was never going to set foot in the Y or the JCC. Never. What did and the I JCC sort of, do to you, kid? Right. That's what I'm like. I sort of don't really. At no point did I feel like the book really showed. You know, her grandmother is not Hasidic. Mm-mm. She's not. Um, she takes her to temple and she introduces her to the rabbi, but she's not like shoving it down her throat i was sort of like it seems to me like the conclusion you should draw here is that the christians are bad and you're gonna go side with the jews i don't know yeah where you're getting this from lady i kind of i mean obviously you know she's a she's a child and she will i'm sure you know evolve in her thinking and she does even in the rest of the book Mm -hmm. um and but that also really was was very a sort of ugh moment for me um because I so often hear and this is something that if you hang out in the Jewish corners of the internet we talk about all the time Mm -hmm. the way people use religion as a synonym for Christianity they'll say like well I don't believe in organized religion because Mm -hmm. x y and z and then all of the things are just Christianity things they're Mm -hmm. not things that Jews do or Muslims do or Hindus do or um so that is, you know, a, a, I was sort of like, Margaret, no, why yeah. are you, why are you doing the, the yeah. religion as a synonym for Christianity thing? Don't do that. Go to the JCC. It's fine. Yeah. I mean, when I was first reading this, because I, I, my initial reaction to literally everything is to make fun of it because many years of issues but like I was reading this and I was like oh what a fascinating thing for Margaret to not really have a religion and then immediately choose like the argument the Lutherans used to like separate from the Catholic Church of we want a personal relationship with God there shouldn't be anybody in between us and God and because like because that's what sparked partially what sparked the whole thing um and and anglicanism and stuff like that and i I found that really really fascinating of just like i want to have a personal relationship with god and i'm like you can do that in pretty much any religion there is catholicism is pretty much the only one that really shoves a middleman in there like and and i was like why are we not getting that perspective that she goes to a presbyterian and methodist church where like Part of that is that you don't have to confess. You don't have to do like, you don't have to involve the middleman. You can have more of a personal relationship with God. I was like, the answer has already been ha- like been received. Like there are different religions that don't involve, you know, attaches in order to, or embassies in order to make this happen. Like it, it exists. And I understand, again, this is a book for children, but like it's really two broad strokes for having a theological book and you know i i would love i mean i would i'm probably i i purposely didn't google like any interviews with judy bloom about the book or anything because mm-hmm. i didn't want to didn't want that to inform our conversation um but i am curious to read what else she said about it because yeah, i mean her her grandmother is quite jewish um mm-hmm. albeit in a secular New Yorky kind of strange the deli yeah goes to goes to Florida in the mm-hmm. in the winter mm-hmm. um it's like a Mrs. Maisel depiction of Jewishness and it's just like oh that's interesting um but 
her dad must have been born, you know, I, I feel like we can guess within 10, maybe 15 years. No, no. Her dad must have been born. Sorry. I, I'm. Yeah. I'm trying to do math, which is not my strong. I'm trying to do math. Also, also I'm trying to speak. Apparently I bit my lip yesterday, which is why I have developed a random list. Yeah, so if Margaret was born in 58, let's just assume her parents were very young when they had her, maybe 20. Just be generous and say 20. You know, so maybe her parents were born in the early, you know, anywhere in the 30s. That's where, like, her parents were So it is, you know, I, I would love to know more about her father's relationship with Mm -hmm. judaism um because that's a charged period and this is Mm -hmm. i think this may be the only post-world war ii book about jews i've ever read that doesn't mention in any way as far as i can tell Mm -hmm. the holocaust at all there is no allusion to it and that i mean it's it's such a it's actually and and I've, you know, done some reading on this too, just the extent to which you cannot fathom Judaism without the Holocaust at this mm-hmm. point. It's it's not so mm-hmm. much is wrapped up when when a third of you are wiped out, like yeah. it's such a big thing. And I I assume Margaret's aware of it. I would yeah. have to think that she would be. I would have to think that that grandma's down there in Miami beach with survivors. I mm-hmm. visited my great aunt in Miami beach and there were survivors there. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, that was the other piece that, that felt so odd to me that that was just completely missing. There's never, if nothing else that grandma never said, you're really, you know, you're really gonna raise this child non-Jewish. They don't, you you have a responsibility to, mm-hmm. to repopulate, um, and it's so funny because uh, starring Sally J. Friedman as herself is all about the Holocaust. Yeah, it is. That's that's what it's about. Um, yeah. So I, I certainly don't. I don't think that you know. I don't think Margaret is Judy. I don't think that Mm-mm. Sally is Judy. I think that Judy is a, a unimaginably talented human being who has created these characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but that did sort of ring a little false to me that nobody ever made an illusion even. Yeah. You know, cause they, they make many asides to the fact that Margaret's parents don't want her hanging out with her Jewish grandmother anymore. And that they ch- are trying to like separate, you know, Margaret from her grandmother in a way that seems really, again, frankly, grotesque of like, you've separated Margaret from her Christian grandparents because they are overbearing and, you know, incredibly, they disowned their daughter for marrying a Jewish man and like was in, they were incredibly cruel to their son-in-law. And those are, that's actual abuse. That's like actual straight up terrible things, good reasons to remove your child from the presence of their grandparents. But like, like you said, like her grandmother, her Jewish grandmother never says anything really about religion aside from like, I'm, I like 
my faith and it, it means something to me. And it would mean a lot if you were also involved in something that is, you know, incredibly close to my heart. And that seems like also a good enough reason to remove Margaret from her, the presence of her grandmother. And it's like, those two things are not like the other. What the fuck is wrong with this? Like, yeah, what, what is the deal? Like, what what is the I mean maybe it was just that grandma you know we're only seeing we're seeing her through Margaret's eyes true and I you know I can confirm my grandparents could do no wrong in my eyes um you know maybe for all we know grandma's super overbearing and so they moved to Jersey so she would stop dropping in on it we don't know but it it is a weird thing and and I do wonder you know about the choices that that her father made. You know, Margaret's parents come across as like real internet atheists, you know, like 50 years before that was even a thing of just like you were saying like, oh, all organized religion. It's like, no, that's just toxic, oppressive Christianity, actually, as America knows it, not all organized religion. You know, and again, I will fully admit that I pulled this shit too. And I said a lot of those internet atheist things too. And I I regret it. And I've grown beyond a lot of that. And I'm, I'm trying to, you know, expand my mind to like, you know, faith. Cause again, raised Catholic during the entire priest scandal. So that got yanked, you know, like structure that I knew got yanked away from me at a really young age and stuff like that. But like, Again, this book really posit like positions just like casual practicing of Judaism as the same thing as like oppressive right. patriarchal like, arms of Christianity. Grandma didn't disown him. Grandma no. didn't say you married a shiksa. I never want to see you or your child. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I, I don't believe that Grandma's like. I, I my guess is she goes to temple for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and she probably does Hanukkah and Passover. That mm-hmm. would be my sort of assessment of her. Um, probably doesn't eat pork or shellfish, but doesn't have two sinks. Kind of, mm-hmm. yes. And it's like it. It's fine. It's not that deep. I mean, at the end of it, Grandma's got a boy toy. Like Grandma is like super surprisingly progressive for a book that takes place in 1970 so badly i need to know everything about her she's just kind of with her lincoln center tickets and her boyfriend mr mr Mr. binaman rhymes with cinnamon she's like i gotta introduce my my florida boy toy to my son when i get back up to new york and i'm like get it grandma like her hair is a different color right? every time margaret sees her she's got fabulous outfits she you know she like goes shopping she shows up with bags from bloomingdale's which is another horrible character but also like grandma's spendy grandma's got cash like good for grandma <laughs> yeah we we love grandma um yeah but i don't understand it like again as an adult reading this like when you're reading it, you're like, maybe Margaret can't differentiate the difference, but Margaret's not making the decisions to not see certain grandparents. It's her parents. And I'm just like, I need an adult book about parents, Judy Bloom. Like, I need to know what happened to these people. Like, where did they meet? Like, where, what college did this, like, 
like evangelical woman from Ohio go to to meet this extremely Jewish New York boy like and fall in love and get married and I'm like I need to know this I need to know how this happened it's like Columbia yeah, and, or like and they live in New York and then they move to Jersey and yeah so so many questions i mean judy's she's she's still writing right like it's not too oh, late yeah. judy. no she's still cooking she, uh, she's do it. not young either so i'm gonna look that up while i'm talking at you uh, i want to say she's like 90 like yeah she's she is 85 years young it's beverly 85? cleary okay yeah we've we have so much time judy come on crank us... that one out i need a follow-up <laughs> and i mean it really is you know I, you don't read that many books where you want spin-offs of all these characters and all these sequels. If if this came out today, or I guess maybe if it were for older people, you can see the fanfic universe mm-hmm. that would evolve around. And I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure it's on AO3. I will... Take a look, we'll find which I'm links. sure I will regret. Um, <laughs> exactly. Well, they hooked <laughs> up because if they hook up Margaret and Nancy, I will revolt. Nancy, no, absolutely no, not. That that's what they're going to do. Um, I know. Nancy's awful. But, but, okay, but you used to be awful. You've I been know. saying. So, so much so, of that is probably self-loathing, though, of just like why I wish, right. you know. I, I have empathy for young, awful Emily because that was not me whereas you're like god i sucked and i did i really sucked like it was weird i I will just go off into a tangent because i'll explain it because like the weird thing about it was is that nancy the character we presume was sort of being told how to make herself marketable to men you know what i mean it was just like that starts lickety split for a lot of girls but for me it was like under no circumstances should you be like marketable to men. It was just like having boys or men want you at any point in your life. That is the danger. Like, and so if you're like the girl who's smooching when she's 10, like already you're letting everybody know that like you're on the market. Whereas like Nancy was like, I can't wait to be marketable. And like, for me, it was like, don't you ever let anybody see you that way? Because that's how like prudish my mom was. And so like, for me, it's, it's slightly different where it's like, Nancy is basically being set up to get her MRS, whereas, like, for me, it was, like, I expect you to never get married because boys should never touch you. And it was, like, okay, like, this is bizarre. So it's, like, a a little different, you know, between, like, that and this. But, hey, hey, overshare on the podcast. But, like, (laughs) but, again, like, I don't have – a lot of empathy for characters like Nancy, who is basically like jealous that everybody is looking at Laura because she's the first one with boobs. Whereas like, that's why she's lying about getting her period second. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, no, she wants to be womanly. She's losing in the race. Like already there are girls who are approaching getting the valuable husband faster than her because she's not maturing. Yeah. It makes me sad that this little child wants to I mean I also want I was also so excited to get my period and get my bras and I would count you know my my little leg and arm and pubic hair is like 
ooh, I'm starting. But it wasn't, it was never for me about getting boys or even getting Appealing girls. Appealing to it anybody, was, yeah. It was, I mean, I think a lot of it for me was that I, you know, I, I was a very, very verbally advanced child. I was mm. speaking complete sentences when I was quite young. Um, and and I I wanted my outside to catch up to my brain. And I didn't understand that, my emotions still weren't right. particularly advanced. And, you know, in, in retrospect, I'm glad that my parents ignored my, my requests to like have me start taking college classes when I could handle them academically, because right. even though I could have handled them academically, I couldn't have handled them socially. And I, I had a kid in, when I was in college who was a few years younger and he was a nightmare to work with because he was still a like he was still like 16 and he didn't have any yeah. emotions and you don't, but so, you know, I, I was very eager to grow up, but for very different reasons from Nancy. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I often, cause I dreaded like getting, like going through the bodily changes. Like I hated it so much. I was already so tall. So everybody like already assumed that I was like much older than I was because I was, really tall. <laughs> like, I, was I was very tiny. short and yeah, I was and very tiny. They, they thought that I was like not eating as a baby and really, uh, yeah, yeah. they, they were like worried that my, or that my parents were like abusing me and they were like, no, she's eating. But luckily I, I could speak so young that like, it was pretty clear. I was fine. I was just yeah. minuscule. <laughs> You're just like tiny. my my older cousins used to treat me like a doll. They would just carry me around up, up until I was, I don't know, like five, six. I don't. I was in a booster seat till I was ten. Like I was a really, really little kid. Yeah, and that was that wasn't great. I was five and a half feet tall when I was ten. That's cool. I'm still not five and a half feet tall. <laughs> yeah. No, like, and again, like, also, I think part of, too, was, like, why I dreaded it was that, like, I had already known so many girls who had gotten their period and had to start wearing bras, and, like, I didn't until I was in, high, like, late high school. Like, I still don't need to wear a bra. You, you know, air quotes, need to, patriarchally speaking, like, wear a bra. I'm just, like, oh, flat-chested as a board. Like, it's just didn't go through any kind of development, so I was always just, like, when it hits is like the body I've been living in for 16 years going to suddenly become different. Whereas like, I think if it hits you a little bit younger, like not like awkward young, because you know, like when you get it in like the fourth or fifth grade, like nobody set up for that. And you know, that freaks people out too. It's just like, there's like a happy medium age where it's like between like 12 and 14, where everybody's just kind of like, that's it. And you know, but if it hits you before or way after, like, nobody knows what to do with you. And I was dreading it so much. Like it, I was just like, Oh, it looks painful. And like boobs look like a hindrance. That looks awful. Let's skip that if I can. And it was just like, yeah, because like, I think maybe like, because they were so conservative about it in like the seventies, but by the time the nineties came around, like I remember doing like mixed gender like sex ed classes where it was just kind of like this is what happens Mm -hmm. to everybody and it was like oh man that's that's bizarre through like the lens of a book that takes place in the 1970s where it's like the girls get a special class and the boys go to gym like the boys never really get a conversation in this book 
I mean, I, I assume that the boys are getting a conversation about erections and yeah. wet dreams, I guess. I, I, I don't guess. what we don't know because there's there's no boy for us to be yeah. following. We will never know what the boys learn. I also had uh, mixed gender sex ed in, in fifth grade when I briefly attended mm-hmm. school and um I was already I mean I already knew pretty much all of the stuff. Um, yeah. But I didn't know all the in- anatomical details. Yeah. And I remember being very startled to learn that urine and semen came out of the same tube. I had sort of envisioned like right. two separate tubes and it was the same hole. Like I right. thought that. I <laughs> there was just a mother. Like there I was just a hatch. Like, <laughs> but I assumed it was like, you know, two little tubes within the bigger. No, no. All the same. And I was like, oh, well, that sounds gross yeah 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 I got mixed gender um like sex ed in fifth grade sixth grade and the ninth grade so like they went they went into detail like as we got older and it was just like well can't look my crush in the eye anymore because things have been ruined but like but also like we had a relatively low teenage pregnancy rate so good on Danbury public schools like I mean, I, I remember I, we, I also did get um, my Hebrew school did a little bit of sex ed. Ooh. We were um, in, I don't know, like eighth grade, maybe mm-hmm. seventh. Um, yeah, we got And I was, I was in, I was in Tulsa at this time. And I, I remember I was the one who didn't have any hang ups about any of this and wasn't, mm-hmm. um, I remember my classmates would write notes for me to read to, to questions to the teacher. Like I was the one who was like, yeah, I'll read it. Just write it down. For I'll me. say like, penis in front of everybody. Who cares? Yeah, I don't like, care. That's, yeah. I don't have any. No, no um, compunction about this whatsoever. And, you know, to my knowledge, none of us ended up pregnant. Although certainly I had, had, uh, the public schools were not teaching yeah. it. And I did have, high school classmates who weren't going to Hebrew school. So who ended yeah. up yeah. pregnant quite young. So. Yeah. I, it, even though my parents pulled us out of Catholic school, I still had to go through all of the steps. And so like I had to go to CCD and I forgot what that stands for. But um, like by the time I was like making my confirmation and they're like, you're going to get out in the world and you're probably never coming back. And like I can say from statistical experience, you are correct. None of us were coming back. But um, I remember they gave us like Catholic sex ed too. And it was just as horrible as you can imagine that it was. My favorite was the story of um, premarital sex is like putting a cat in a microwave. And you might go, quack. Yep. (laughs) So what they said was sex is great, like a microwave. It's very convenient. It serves its purpose. However, there were people, according to them, I'm assuming this is apocryphal, that in the 1970s or 80s, when microwaves first started becoming popular, people didn't understand that though it heated things up, you cannot put like your cold cat who's freezing in a microwave because you will kill it. And premarital sex is the same thing. Of it, It's a tool that you have to know how to use properly, or I guess you murder your cat. So um, I have a, I have a, I have so, so many um, I know. Concerns. Um, one thing I, I am very curious about 
the people who were doing the Catholic sex ed, were those priests and nuns no. who themselves had never had sex? They brought in people they who They brought knew. in, like, Catholic moms from, like, the the parishioners well, and that's their... something at least yeah i was like she feels like it'd be hard birth. to take a nun seriously on the subject no like, what do you know about it lady no i will tell you that um when i was making my confirmation this is truly a probably an abhorrent thing to say but i will say it we had to get tested on our prayers and so we had to have like a one-on-one meeting with a priest in order to like say like yeah i know the act of contrition and the apostles creed and stuff like that and it's like yes i do actually want to get confirmed and be a part of the church for the rest of my life and you can hear for those this- of you not watching this and only listening to it which is all of you yeah. emily just crossed her fingers <laughs> to indicate that she is lying to the priest yes lying to a priest bald-faced um and i remember I remember getting out of the the meeting and going back to my mom because it was one-on-one like no one else was there and so like I remember getting back to my mom's car and going like oh that priest is gay and my mom was just like yeah we know but you're not supposed to say anything I was like oh and she's like yeah like for a long time like gay catholic men went into the priesthood because like you know politics and I was like yeah and father so-and-so is one of them and she's like yes it's like she's like but you can't say anything and I was like okay and that was my last experience with religion if if you're you know if you're gay and your options are celibacy or marrying a woman I can see why you would say all right I'm just gonna go the celibacy route because yeah I mean I would rather be single than married to a man so that seems and, you know, sorry to the nuns for besmirching them. Maybe they are hooking up with each other, and I love and support that. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's that's totally what I would do. I, I wouldn't want to marry a guy. I would be like, all right, I'll just go be celibate, I guess. That's cool, too. It made sense to me. Like, even, like, naive, stupid 14-year-old Emily was like, oh, no, that totally makes sense. Like, if especially if you're older and things like that, where it's, like, not – gay friendly community and I was like it totally makes sense why if you are also of faith and things like that I was just like oh okay that makes sense but that was literally like Emily becoming an adult in the Catholic church of her leaving her prayer meeting and being like oh that's that's the that's the secret that unlocks this yeah so yeah I have a strange relationship to religion not gonna lie <laughs> oh my gosh but yeah no this is I, I kind of want to see the movie now, but I'm also like really worried that it's going to gloss over some stuff. Like, again, not show the Ohio parents in the light that we all read them in, you know, because I have, I have a bad feeling. Someone who's seen this had better tell me, but I have a bad feeling. Well, I think I'm probably going to watch it because I'm I'm curious. And a lot of people have, a lot of like adult women and I, I was I was gonna say women of my age but of course it's not just women of my age for whom this is a seminal book it is mm-hmm. basically anyone from my mother's age to today yeah. any little girl this is the book um mm-hmm. and a, a lot of those women have have said that I've seen that they really liked the movie and that it did a good job um I'm, you know, so I, I'm going to give it a, a look, uh, despite 
sharing the reservations about the Kathy Bates casting. And the dad is um, the dad is played by someone super Jewish whose name is. That's good because the mom is Rachel Mc. I'm sorry. Well, well, the mom's not supposed to be Jewish, so that's yeah, I know it's Rachel McAdams, and she's adorable. So, Um, although Rachel McAdams does have a history of playing Jews, and we are not angry about that whatsoever. Oh, really? Um, Yes, she had had played Jewish characters before. Oh, right, that movie. Right there, you go. There you go. (laughs) Sorry. Oh, it's Benny Safdie, who's probably who's thank you, Benny Safdie. Yeah, right. Uh, That movie. I knew it was so. Yes. Um, also, a great book would would certainly come on to talk about that book anyway. Oh, we'll we'll do that soon because I, I can't remember the title of it to save my life right now. But thank you. Yes. Yeah. Um, Disobedience or the Ghost Bit book. I don't actually think that happened in the book, but um, <laughs> it's a formative and important moment in movie history. Yeah. So if you want to let us know, if you are a 20-something and want us to let us know if Spin the Bottle and Seven Minutes in Heaven still exists, Abby's going to talk about it on her Twitter, which is, if you'd like to enlighten everybody. It is at clap if you like me. Um, I am now also on Blue Sky, same handle. I do not have any invite codes. I'm very sorry. Lucky. Um, <laughs> and yeah, 20-something or a younger, I don't know how young your podcast audience could possibly be. I don't Pretty young. know if kids do they listen to podcast I don't know what they do I get, I get um, young I get older high school so like it, it happens I'm so so older high schoolers if you are listening we are curious let us know you could you know drop drop an email perhaps yeah. I'm, uh, I'm ancient I need to be educated in these things and I have no children so I will never know like just I'm out of the loop so fill me in much appreciated uh, but it was wonderful as always. I always love coming and talking about books, which are really one of my favorite things that I almost never engage in anymore because I am too distracted by the internet and my cat and all of the other things going on in life. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hulu.